This is On The Grid, powered by theracetalk.com on mypodcasthouse.com. G'day everyone and welcome to another episode of On The Grid here on mypodcasthouse.com or on the radio show Limited's RS1. Thank you for joining us. A big show coming up. We're going to talk about racing in Victoria this weekend. That's right. The AMRS makes its way to Sandown for the first official motor race in Victoria since the Australian Grand Prix. We'll talk to Matt Bargwanath about that very shortly. We'll also have a chat to Ryan Story, of course, the boss at DJR, Dick Johnson Racing. I nearly put on the team Penske at the end of that, but not anymore. We'll find out all about that shortly when Dale Rogers joins me to talk to Ryan. And then we'll finish off having a chat, as we always do, with Richard Crail and Mark Walker. Plenty to chat about as well in the world of sport. All that to come right here on The Grid. This is On The Grid on mypodcasthouse.com. All right, joining us for a chat to talk about this weekend's AMRS round at Sandown Raceway, Matt Margwanathan. Matt, it's a massive weekend. It's the first bit of racing we've had here in Melbourne since the Grand Prix. Uh, first question that comes off the rank, I suppose, is will we have a crowd? Oh, yes. Uh, yeah, th- thanks, Tony. And uh, great to be with you. And, and, um, and uh, hello to all the listeners out there. Um, Tony, I'm very pleased to report that uh, it's, it's fortunate that we're having this catch up now because I'm uh, very pleased to report that as of uh, only a very short time ago, we've actually received full approval to allow spectators this weekend on Sunday only uh, in the Red Hill car park viewing area at Sandown. Um, so uh, there's been a lot, a lot of questions through our socials and our websites and, you know, my phone and all those sort of things around, uh, will we allow spectators? Unfortunately, we can't allow them into the pits at all. We've reached our, um, pretty much reached our limits, uh, which is the 500 limits uh, in the pit paddock area of the, the motorsport precinct at Sandow. Uh, but we will be allowing uh, up to another 500 people in that Red Hill viewing area. Well, that's fantastic. And uh, as we said, to be the first, uh, racing category or the racing series in Melbourne since the Grand Prix. It's, uh, it's just great to have racing back. Oh, you're telling me, Tony, like it, it's, you, I just don't think you realize how much you miss it. Like mm. it's just, it's that, that's so much of a key part of your life that you just, you get sitting at home and, you know, working from home and you're try, trying to put events together and then, and, and then stage four kicks in of, of COVID Mark two and this kind of stuff and everything else think it's falls in a heap and you got to refund everyone's money. And like, it was just, shake your head and just go, yeah, this, this is just a write-off. But um, yeah, look, we're, we're very excited. Uh, very excited about being able to produce um, Sandown this weekend. It's the first time for AMRS to be at Sandown um, in, in, its, in, its, in its years of, of, of operation. And um, more excitingly also for AASA is the sanctioning body. They, they are also very excited about um, their first sanctioned race meeting at, at Sandown. So. Also great to see uh, a full complement of, uh, of cars going around in a whole lot of different categories, including Formula Ford, the miniature racing cars, the uh, Victorian XL series. But I'm really looking forward to having a look at the uh, TA2 muscle car series. Yeah, and and um, and unfortunately, because of you know this this weekend does clash. It's, it's, I reckon it's probably one of the going to be one of the busiest weekends in motorsport for 2020. Quite honestly, between our meeting, there's Island Magic on, there's Historic Rob Roy, there's um, Bathurst Drive events, uh, Bathurst Challenge events on. So we have lost unfortunately a, a small handful of TA2 cars to, to Bathurst, but we we've got um, we've got a good handful, and um, we've we've got some invited cars in there as well. But but I can say if there's any race car that is one of my favourites of our series it's a ta2 car they're beautifully built by um by how industries over in the states and um and pbr uh bring them in and um yeah they 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 look good sound good um and and um yeah fantastic to watch and we're looking forward to seeing around Sandown. so this is the first time those guys have been able to run since our round one in february this year that was their last meeting so um yeah i can tell you they're excited about getting out to run as well so and add to that list of cars, the MG and Invited British Sports Cars, Group S and Super GT, including the AMRS Invited Race Cars. It is going to be a pretty full program. Just finally, Matt, before we let you go, uh, this is the third post-COVID uh, race meeting for you guys. Has it been tough getting through Sydney and Queensland and now down to Melbourne, the yeah, regulations it, it, and stuff that you've had to go through? Yeah, yeah, it, it, it has, Tony. Like, you know, we you... you and with the absolute greatest amount of respect to, to government departments and things like that, unfortunately, you talk to one person, they give you one answer, you talk to another and you, and you get, get a different answer. 
Um, we, we've been able to deliver Sydney Motorsport Park at the end of September and uh, Queensland Raceway at the end of October with local state-based categories only instead of our travelling series um, categories being able to go there. Um, and th they too have been very grateful that, oh, thank God you're, you're putting on a meeting. Um, so, yeah, look, you know, it, it's been a matter of just try and draw it together enough to cover across is by no means was it was it a was it a money making exercise because i can tell you we didn't make money out of them um it was just about covering costs and yeah. and we did that and um and gave people the opportunity to get back to what they love get back to, to, to doing some motorsport and uh you know uh it, it's very satisfying when you walk down pit lane at sydney motorsport park and really for that matter you know you know queensland raceway um and people just look you in the eye and say thanks so much for putting on this motorsport event we we have really been missing this um so um and particularly in sydney we did the one hour um prod sports super gt enduro which which was great we had some good names there and some fantastic cars um uh, that was really good to be able to put that on. We had what twenty one or twenty two of those cars. So uh, yeah, it, it just becomes you and says, "Oh, thanks so much for putting most support on." And and so we did it, and we kept the government restrictions, and we were you know everything, all these things around names and phone numbers and email addresses and people getting temperature checked coming in the gate at Sydney. You know there was a line halfway down the road at Sydney to for people to get in, but we had to do it, and that is what it is. So we we got through it. So. Just a final one, Matt, before I let you go. The 500 crowd that's allowed on Sunday, yep. uh, how will that be determined and what's the cost to get in? Sure. So the uh, 500 crowd is 500 adults. So kids under 16 are free. Um, so uh, adults are $25, including GST uh, per head. And they go to our website, which is amrseries.com.au. And there's will be a link there to buy tickets. And quite literally, you're putting in your name, your email address, and your phone number, and how many tickets you like, and go. That's it. And and put your credit card in, and 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 it's paid. We then have a list, uh, and that list goes to the the, the security staff that are going to be manning the gate on Sunday. Gates will open at eight thirty, and um, they just get your name ticked off, and in you go. It's it's really that simple. Um, but the requirements are we do need to have everyone's name uh, that is um, on site. So that that's why we have to go through this process and not allow the just walk up to a gate buy a ticket type thing. So yeah. And will be the will the encouragement be to stay in your car or you'll be free to no, no absolutely not. They, they, they'll be very free to wander around in the Red Hill area. They can't wander out of there and go to the pit area, yeah. as, as I previously mentioned. Um, but no, no, they, they don't have to sit in their car. We are encouraging people to bring a picnic and sit on the grass and and um, you know be be, be socially distanced as as uh, you know among, from from separation from other people. But but you know we're encouraging people to come and have a, even a family picnic watching the cars. What, what could be better? <laughs> yeah, no, exactly right, Matt. Thanks for your time. Really do appreciate it. No worries, Tony. Thanks, thanks for your opportunity to talk to you and uh, we'll catch up with you soon. All right, first of all, uh, let's say good day to uh, Dale Rogers from the racetalk.com who joins me on the line. G'day, Dale. Tony, how are you, mate? Good to be on. Yeah, great to have you on too. We also say good day to, well, a man that, has found himself just in the absolute uh, prime of everything at the moment. Uh, now with uh, DJR team, Dick Johnson racing with uh, the team Penske part pulled out. Uh, a lot of responsibility has fallen back on the shoulders of uh, the Australian operation of that. And the man that's running it all is Ryan story. He joins us as well for a chat. How are you, Ryan? I'm very well. Thanks, Tony. And, uh, and good afternoon to you and to Dale. It's always a pleasure to join you. It's always a pleasure to have you on, mate. The first question I'll ask is, the last uh, few months for everyone behind the scenes at uh, Dick Johnson Racing, has it been a stressful few months as you've uh, put everything to bed in regards to the deal with uh, Team Penske or has things just gone really smoothly? Well, it's, it's gone very well. I mean, we've been very fortunate to have built up a, a commercial partnership base that continues to support us strongly and, uh, and things happened rather quickly. We'd, we'd war-gamed a number of scenarios in the lead-up to Bathurst. And then the week following Bathurst on Tuesday evening, we made a decision um, to continue with the team. And, uh, and that, that, would have, that meant uh, that Penske were going to, uh, to, to effectively exit supercars. The following day, I uh, reached out and made contact to our two drivers designate and uh, put paperwork in front of them and, and 
between there and Saturday, we secured our drivers, our major sponsorship base, and uh, and informed our staff. We had uh, Roger Roger and uh, Tim Sindrick on a call with all of our staff that Saturday afternoon. So it was effectively six months worth of work in only uh, four days. So it's uh, it was quite a quite a feat, but I think it stands to the strengths of the team that we've built that our corporate spark prepared to stick behind us. Certainly that people and a great team and together we all want to continue going right. We had, a, had, had an incredible partnership with Team Penske over, over six seasons and uh, it's a great way to end things with a driver's championship and a team's championship and an exciting uh, pathway ahead. Ryan, you mentioned uh, that, that, that in, in one note that you said that, there, that although the formalities have, have ceased, there will still be a, a, a relationship of sorts. Um, the Penske organisation have been very active uh, on track in corporate hospitality of entertaining guests and obviously interacting with the team through the Western Star and Man and, and Detroit Diesel Brands. Do you see that? Will that continue as part of their program of just, just that arm's length relationship and that, that interest at the, at the circuits? Absolutely. Uh, whilst Penske won't retain an ownership in the in the race team itself, uh, they'll continue to be a commercial partner themselves. And uh, our, our trailers will be towed by MAN D38. And Dale, you were around in the early days. Uh, the, the, the decision and purpose of Roger to go racing in Australia was to effectively circulate and market the brands that he runs here in Australia, be it uh, the, the trucks, of course, the Western Star MAN and Dennis Eagle trucks, and the Detroit Diesel and Detroit Diesel and MTU engines. So, it's it's not so much having having satisfied uh, that responsibility as to why they exited, but more so the the dilemma and uh, and the challenges of COVID. At one point in time, they had a significant number of their staff furloughed right across the world due to COVID particularly in that time in Europe where it really ravished the place before the second wave came in. And by retaining a commercial relationship there, whilst not having ownership, we can still provide the business-to-business -business networking opportunities with the, with the local Penske business. We can continue to provide their, their customers with an with a outstanding corporate hospitality experience, and that will continue. And as it relates to the technical side of things, uh, we worked off of the same CAD software and uh, and and uh, and database and things of that nature, but in terms of the developments on the car and the manufacturing of everything on the car, that all happened here. In any case, that was that was done by the local our, our local team, and in house and and with some of it occasionally outsourced to local companies here within Australia. So there's no changes from that point of view, but the processes and the systems and practice that they've brought into the organisation have made a second to none in that front. And, and, and you can never unlearn what you learn. You can simply build upon and, and make those things better. So we've got a very solid foundation and, uh, and Dick Johnson Racing is, is in a far better position than it was when, uh, when we first partnered up all the way back in, uh, in late 2014. Ryan, everyone who comes into the sport leaves an impression of some regard. What does Roger Penske and the Penske organisation leave supercars with well i think one of the one of the first one of the first directives from roger personally uh was to say that when you get the presentation right everything else follows and i think that that's true of our record on the track as well as off it uh, we put a huge huge amount of effort into the presentation of our cars and and how we looked at the track by way of staff and crew uniforms right down to our pit walling and the way in which the way in which our our, our garages and, and toolboxes were uh, were appropriately positioned, and and the, the build of even down to the build of the cars, how we ran the looms and hard lines on the on the floor of the chassis, things to that uh, to that degree of uh, of focus and attention to detail, and and that certainly lifted I think the whole category to a to a new level above. And then from a competitive point of view, certainly from 2017, we found strong form on track. Uh, that, was, that was in no small part to the arrival of Scott McLaughlin and Ludo Lacroix to the organisation, but, uh, but not a lot changed between how the, how the cars that we ran at Homebush in 2016 and, and the ones that we ran in Adelaide in 2017. 
there was not a lot that changed. So we had good people there. It was just a matter of aligning everything together. So we certainly raised the bar by way of competitiveness, by way of professionalism, and by way of presentation. Ryan, the uh, 2020 is well documented in what a bizarre year it's been, but I know personally with, with you that just how passionate you are inside the garage at every race meeting, you take your position behind the engineers, Dick's always you know, sitting at the monitors and you're a very active person at the racetrack. I'm interested to know from, a, from your point of view, how did you deal with uh, not being at the races? Um, and and did, you see any, did you see anything happening there that perhaps you, you didn't see from the intensity of the normal weekend? I was, a, the, I was the most competitive son of a bitch sitting on his couch that you could imagine. Uh, it, was, it was tough, but, uh, but the personnel restrictions that we brought into place were a necessity um, by way of the COVID return to racing plan. And, and I understood that if I went to the track, it was going to be at the expense of, of, of someone swinging on spanners or crunch, crunching numbers or looking at squiggly lines. So it was, it was for the better of the team for me to, to, to work from home. And, for example, at Bathurst, I was watching the weather radar and, and reporting back uh, things that were picked up in commentary and things that I picked up on the television that may have been missed uh, by the folks trackside. Um, so I, I still had a, a, a minor role at Bathurst where there were less restrictions in place around some of those things. But it certainly it certainly was uh, was quite challenging sitting on my hands watching from home. Uh, but uh, but 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 none none, none less uh, intense. It was getting uh, a matter of getting reports after every session, understanding uh, what went on. I was looking at the timing, of course, and and watching uh, watching the coverage on Fox Sports. Uh, we were very very careful in not uh, in respecting the spirit of the rules by not uh, by not sharing around data and things like that. I know a lot a lot of other teams did that, and I'm not passing judgment on any of those but uh, but that was a decision that we proactively made to to follow that uh, that edict uh, but certainly I spoke to people like Ben Croak uh, and uh, and Brad Eyes within the engineering group to understand what was happening and just to be across it because at that point in time I then was reporting that back to uh, to North America so it was it was it was key to have a good good understanding and good feel of where we were going and and what we were what we were able to achieve. But uh, nothing nothing beats being there firsthand. That's for sure. No, you are uh, you probably got a little bit more active than Donald Trump on Twitter at some points as well, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> well, look, there were text messages flowing thick and fast at various points of time and. And a lot of missed calls while these while the, while the blokes at the track were, were hard at work wondering what the hell does this, you know, what could this turkey want from us now? But uh, but look, it's all about just having an understanding and appreciation of what's going on. And uh, and yeah, the frustrated frustrated team boss in me, uh, it's it's never easy to sit back and sit on your hands. But uh, I understood what it was all about, and I think it was a good call around those personnel restrictions. It was the right thing to do. Preparation's very much a part of uh, motor racing, Ryan. In 2020, it didn't seem like anyone had any preparation at all. It was all on the fly, what was happening and the like. And that was just the, the, the sign of the times. 2021, we have an opportunity to have a couple of months preparation, I suppose, up to the first event. Having said that, though, we're not actually sure what the first event is. There is no calendar. Uh, <laughs> yet, is that getting a little bit frustrating for you guys, the delay on uh, what may be 2021? Oh, look, there's been a few draft calendars circulate amongst uh, the teams, uh, but I know that there's some, some commercial ramifications and, and some other inner workings that are delaying that being publicly released, but we expect to see it shortly. Uh, but I think when you look back at last year, I think it was remarkable that we didn't see more issues, particularly from some of the Victorian teams who did a hell of a job spending quite a lot of time on the road. But, you know, at Bathurst, we saw issues with power steering, the, with, particularly with the Commodores, the likes of which we've never seen before. I mean, we did it. We did a, a, an input shaft out of, a, out of a bell housing, for goodness sake, and that was well within its life and the part that, uh, that, that that's fairly bulletproof. So we saw some interesting failures along the way, but, but, but probably less than what I would have anticipated given that the preparation around each race weekend was somewhat compromised by the fact that uh, we were often doing it, uh, doing the preparation for the next weekend at the, at the weekend we were at, as opposed to being able to, to, to return to base and uh, give everything a full set down and send everything away to get crack tested before putting it all back together again. So we're looking forward to seeing that, uh, that eliminated from the 2021 schedule and hopefully the pandemic with vaccines coming in thick and fast, everyone wanting to get their piece of, uh, of the, of, of the, of the, 
government pie that's been that would the government carrot that's been dangled both in the states and here in Australia and mm. the AstraZeneca vaccine that's likely to be manufactured at a facility here with CSL and all those sorts of things and the Pfizer vaccine in the states. If all these things come to come to pass, you know, Qantas, Alan Joyce announced today for international flights, people will need to prove they've had a vaccine. You know, I think if all these things come to pass, we can hopefully have a a year that uh, that's relatively COVID safe, COVID free, and and we can get about going racing. That'd be fantastic. Yeah, Ryan, the, the, you mentioned the drivers before. I'm I'm just interested if you look back at the history just of of the DJR team Penske era. You you have traditionally had uh, a younger up and comer with a, a more stable person. Obviously, when Marcus stepped down, Scott Pye was drafted. But when you went to two cars, you had Scott who was still pretty young. Fabian was experienced. You kept Fabian when Scotty McLaughlin came on, same sort of thing. And now uh, bringing Will Davison back, who, who arguably has, a, has a, a, a CV every bit as good as, uh, if not better than, than, than Fabian, with De, De Pasquale. Was the strategy in your mind always to make sure that you had that balance of really hard experience and, and perhaps some raw talent? Absolutely. And, and look, every team boss has an idea of where everyone is in their contract cycle. I mean, that's just simple due diligence. And we sought to put together the, uh, the best driver lineup that we could. And, and that, uh, that's, that's no disrespect to, to Fabian. I, I know that he's in the market for a full-time gig now, and we wish him all the best with that. But uh, he served us very well. You know, in the last three, three out of the four seasons past, we've won the team's championship and you don't do that simply with one car. So mm. we, we, we've, we look back on, on the DJR Team Penske years quite fondly. Uh, but with the Shell V-Power Racing Team continuing as Dick Johnson Racing, it was, it was time to, uh, to have a, a fresh driver lineup. And, and still balance that, uh, that youth and experience and the benefits that, w- that we've been able to achieve and reap from that balance in the past. So we're very excited about the two steers that we have. Uh, we've been fortunate to, to, uh, to, to have had a little bit of track time by way of a rides day and, and that, uh, you know, you don't learn much from that, but you, you can at least come to grips with the ergonomics of the car and what the steering wheel's like, what the switch box is like, all of those sorts of things. It all counts, it all helps. And we look forward to hitting the track with the, with those guys at the first test day uh, in the new year. DGR Tim Pinsky had a, a leading hand in the homologation of the Mustang a couple of years ago uh, in association with Tickford and Ford Performance as well. Uh, does that give you a, a good insight and a good feeling heading into what is going to be a really solid year of getting ready for Gen 3? Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a matter of running parallel programs um, to, to finish off this final season of, of Car of the Future. Uh, we, we, we're very proud of the Mustang that we've developed, but the Gen 3 program is a complete reset. It's about having a chassis that, that, that's, that's a bespoke racing chassis that's fit for purpose with coupe-style cars. And Camaro versus Mustang, I mean, you, you only need to go back to the 70s to see that, see that that's how the the category really found its feet in its early days. Yeah. Uh, so we're really excited about that. And the work that we've already undertaken with Ford Performance, we're working with the same people we did last time around. Obviously, the powertrain side of things is a new piece of the puzzle, but our engine builders, Steve Amos in particular, not to mention the Ford P- Performance folks, they've got enormous experience with, uh, with, the, with the Coyote engine. Uh, and that's a tr- that's a fantastic donor engine for for, for supercars purposes, no question. So I think that we've got a we've got a we've made a really we really good headway already. We've worked with the series to understand the the, the areas of the car that can be developed. And I think what we're going to see is is two race cars hit the track in 2022 that have have obvious uh, obvious consistency by way of um, the styling aesthetics. And the DNA of their road-going counterparts, but but absolute dedicated, bespoke, fit for fit for purpose, sexy-looking race cars, wide race cars, big fat tyres on them, big rear wings. I, I, I'm really looking forward to it. I think it's a it's a it's a callback to to the touring car style of car that we've we've had, rather than a touring car sports sedan cross that we've uh, been racing between the ZB Commodore and the Mustang the last few years. Right, I found a, 
quote from 2012 from Mark Scaife that said, and this is a quote, under the new rules, the cost of a V8 supercar rolling chassis will be capped at $250,000, while engine costs will be set at $50,000. Um, that was in 2012, and we know that wasn't even within the ballpark of the costs of, of building the car of the future, and, and Dick's on the record of saying the first two cost him over a million dollars. Now, I understand the first ones are always more, but even currently a car of the future is still an expensive beast to build. Um, the, the target in this in this new Gen 3 is around 350. Is it a realistic figure? I think it is. From the engine side of things, uh, with what we're looking at with an overhead cam engine, um, from the Ford side at least, uh, we know that we can get really good longevity out of that. I mean, when you look at the supercars engines that we run now, they're, they're I mean, on the GM side, it's a Chev block, racing heads, there's an awful lot of work that goes into the block in honing and light weighting. There's an awful lot of work that, that goes into porting of the heads. They've all got a custom sump on them, but everyone's different. So you've got a Kenny Mack GM engine um, versus the Walkinshaw GM engine versus the Kelly Ford engine versus the Tickford Ford engine versus the Moztec DJR Ford engine. So you've got a lot of different, uh, a lot of different, different, donks in that mix that all have to be paratized and it's a it's quite an expensive process and you don't get change from 100 grand for one of the, those things i think that uh, from the engine side of things it's more than achievable to get that number down significantly in addition to reaping the returns of significant operate operation expenditure costs and that's been the that's been the the pain with car of the future is that from a capital expenditure cost the cars are very expensive but from an operating expenditure cost, they're also very expensive. The, the pre-cough car was easier to repair, for example. If you had a major at Bathurst, let's say, um, you, have, you had far more confidence in being able to turn the thing around than what you do today. With the engineering work that's gone into this new chassis, and a, a lot of that's been done by AAA, but, but we've had input and there's been transparency across that process. Uh, Jeremy Moore's done a fantastic job. Uh, Perry Cap has done a fantastic job. A lot of people have contributed, Carl Foe, supercars themselves, uh, and people like Paul Seprinich. I think we've, we've had a, a group of people who have looked at this, and the circumstances are completely different. There aren't, there aren't a lineup of manufacturers ready to walk up with, with, with checks with, with, uh, with seven figures. There aren't, a, there aren't any teams that can, that can justify a significant capital outlay um, without guarantees of, of reaping that back through OPEX savings. So the times are different and the circumstances are different. We have to get this right. We've got no other option. And certainly the process that's been taken to date, the work that's been taken to date, and certainly the expertise that's gone into that work and the oversight that's gone into that work, uh, all roads are pointing in the same direction. I think with Car of the Future, it needed a it needed a benevolent dictatorship to to corral the group and bring everything together. But it was a very different world. Uh, it, it happened, of course, um, post global financial crisis. But Australia was immune from some of the uh, some of the, the 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 serious economic downturn events that that took place from that. Certainly, uh, in the immediate years that followed, and that saw Car of the Future be pushed back a year. Uh, and that happened around the same time as the Archer sale and all of those sorts of things. So there are a lot of other mitigating circumstances and they were certainly very different back then. This time around, we know we have to build a cheaper car. We need to build a car that's still capable of door-to-door uh, of -door racing. Uh, that's very cost-effective, but we really have to see that return in, in OPEX um, to, to, to effectively justify a, a big outlay in CapEx. And $350,000 for a bespoke race car in, in a in a worldview sense, it is it's still a cheap race car, but in terms of a Australia population of 225 million people, it's still an expensive outlay and an expensive undertaking. But all signs are good. Uh, we wouldn't have continued as Dick Johnson Racing if we didn't have that confidence in what the future held, and certainly Ford wouldn't in putting their faith in us as the homologation team. So we're we're excited about it, and we believe it. We, we, we believe we can achieve all of those goals as have been set. Ryan, are the next two years for the Supercars organisation and the teams themselves sort of watershed years, I suppose, in regards to the future of this competition? ARG seem to be putting together a very valid and very exciting uh, group of 
formats together to to come up as a, a viable proposition for punters to go and spend their money as part of their entertainment budget. Uh, supercars really have to get Gen 3 right, don't they? And make sure that things are spot on for it to be a, a viable competition in the future, I would have thought. Well, I'd, I think, if you, look, I'd, it's far for me to speak for ARG. They've, they've obviously got a lot of categories, but they're not trying to, they're not trying to um, surpass supercars as a number one motorsport category with any of their categories. And, and I think the proof is in the pudding. Um, this year, uh, supercars got back to racing and we were one of the first major sports to get up and running again. We had an E-series that was watched by as many viewers as we, as we would see watch Fridays and, uh, and practice qualifying days over a traditional race weekend. So that was a huge success for us. It, it, it ensured that we had a degree of currency where, where uh, others didn't necessarily have that. You know, racing translates to, e to an eSports uh, e environment far better than almost any other sport. So yeah. we were able to get an E-Series up and running. We were able to return to racing and, and we didn't see that from, from anyone else. Uh, and, and that, I think, demonstrates that, uh, that ARG have a good foothold with, with Shannon's Nationals and, and with, with that, but that's a complementary, that complements what Supercars does. I think with our television rights deal, uh, with Channel 7 alone, uh, we've, we've got metrics from YouGov and from Oztam that show with 7 being a, a, a sports, having a big focus on sports uh, in, their, in their broadcast lineup. Um, the potential for us to grow our free-to-air audience is significant. And then you only need to look at, uh, at what the Supercars Championship is going to be called next year. It's the Repco Supercars Championship. And, uh, and, and the jewel in the crown is the Repco Bathurst 1000. So GPC Asia Pacific and Repco have made a big investment in the championship. They wouldn't be doing that if they didn't believe in what they were buying. So I think that we've got some really good news stories to tell around the naming rights around the broadcast deal and, and that having greater exposure to more fans and punters and more casual fans. And then, of course, the Gen 3 piece. If we get the Gen 3 piece right, and I'm, and I'm, and I'm completely convinced that we will, and like I said, we wouldn't, we wouldn't be continuing racing as DJR and the Shelby Power Racing Team if we didn't have a lot of confidence in that. Uh, I think the future looks very bright. I'm excited about it. Excellent. So I'm guessing, Ryan, if, if round one is at Bathurst, as we uh, anticipate in February, that uh, given you'll be chafing at the bit, you and Dick will be the first ones at the gate when they open it to uh, <laughs> claw your way in, and away you go. Well, look, we'll still see some of the personnel limits that we've imposed because they're good cost-cutting uh, cost uh, uh, initiatives. Uh, so in terms of being able to be hands-on and, and getting in the way of, of the people that do the real work, uh, we'll... we'll, we'll We'll be taking a step back, so to speak, but uh, but we'll be there in earnest, and we're really looking forward to it. And uh, yeah, we're excited. I mean, we're looking we're looking towards a, a healthy championship next year that sees us visit all the states and the, Nor the Northern Territory to boot, as well as New Zealand. So l let's see it happen. And uh, and like I said, I, I think that there's still a bright future ahead for supercars. There's always the doomsdayers and uh, mm. and people looking to talk it down, but the proof's always in the pudding. Uh, our, our TV ratings are rock solid. We're the th third sport on, on Fox Sports behind uh, AFL and NRL. Um, Bathurst is the number. Bathurst last year was the number one watched um, Fox Foxtel event television piece in terms of audience of any of any channel in the history of subscription television in this country. So we've got a lot of good stories to tell, and that naming rights piece. Uh, around around the series and around Bathurst, I think is a is a real feather in our cap. So, I think there's a lot more we can do, and there's a lot more we can achieve around events and marquee events. Uh, but in reality, I think that there's 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 some good signs there, and there's some good quality signs there. So, really looking forward to 2021 and beyond. As we are as well, Ryan, with you and a brand new looking team at uh, Dick Johnson Racing. It's going to be exciting for the category. There's no doubt about it, and uh, it's going to be game on hopefully from the middle of February when we kick off in Bathurst. Thanks for your time. Really do appreciate it. Look forward to catching up again in the new year. Thank you, gentlemen. It's always a pleasure. And uh, as you can probably tell from the echo, I'm behind the wheel of a magnificent Mustang GT Fastback, five-litre Coyote under the bonnet. Uh, go, the thing goes like the clappers. It gets to 100 awfully quickly. It, uh, it's a great car and uh, 
and it's still the number we we we're very fortunate we get to race not what not not only is Australia's number one selling sports car but is the world's number one selling sports car so uh, we we like to keep the people at Shell happy we like to keep the people at Ford happy too and uh, and uh, occasionally hearing the dulcet sounds of, of, of my voice on a, on a podcast that, that has the reach of yours uh, is one way to do it. Thank you, gentlemen. No, our pleasure. Thank you, Ryan Story, joining us here on The Grid. Let's wrap up the program as we always do, having a chat to these two gentlemen, Richard Crail and Mark Walker from theracetalk.com. Gentlemen, good day to you. Shebex and Mark, how are we? Yeah, I'm well. Uh, I'm present and accounted for. It's uh, exciting. Silly season's firing up. It's all happening here. It certainly is. And also, uh, movement season is happening as well. Whoa. In that uh, we nearly can move around the country. First of December, yes. I think we're getting a lot of borders yeah. open and things are happening and Victoria's got a quadruple, double, triple donut or something. And I think today was the... Well, I think the big one was... was uh, We've eradicated coronavirus well, here in Victoria. Anastasia Palisade finally putting a date on the New South Wales border, which has been the bane of everyone's life, yeah. especially in motorsport for the last couple of months. So first um, of December looks like happy times for Christmas, doesn't it? And you know, and you know what? I still don't want to go to New South Wales. No, no, no. And, no. and, and while it looks happy times for Christmas, it also looks happier times, I suppose, for motor racing into 2021 in that a lot of our national categories can actually start to look at planning and having serious chats about their calendar being cemented in for, you know, for interstate travel. Yeah, the, I, I think if you start planning too far ahead at the moment, you're probably kidding yourself because as we've seen over here in Adelaide in the last week, like the, the COVID thing is still yeah. absolutely on a knife's edge and one little slip up will plunge a state into lockdown straight away. And I think every state premier has um, proven that they're, they're willing just to go hard straight away, which will put the kibosh on anything happening if there's another outbreak. So it's something that we're just going to have to suck and see until March, April, when we assume, as the government's been talking about today, as we record the show, it was a couple of hours ago, the health minister came out and said, it'll be March next year that we start rolling out the vaccine. That's when you start having some certainty in life moving forward and returning to whatever normal used to be. Um, but yeah, look, positive signs. And, and it'll be nice just to cap the year off with a couple of events and then roll into you know, the early stages of 2020 with the ARG stuff that will commence in Tasmania, um, Australia Day weekend, and then push forward through February and the start of supercars at Mount Panorama. Exactly right. And uh, as mentioned earlier on in the show, uh, this weekend we see uh, AMR series, the Australian Motor Racing Series, uh, racing at Sandown in the first event since the Grand Prix. And they've been given the all clear now for a crowd of 500 which is a, a good sign for motor racing in Victoria. Yeah. A any racing's good racing. Uh, I mean, we've seen it up here in Queensland. Low-level stuff has gone on without a problem. You do your sign-in, you, you swipe your app as you come in, and you go and sit by a fence and watch some cars go around. And, and Sandown's a massive place. It's big mm. open-air joint. You can easily space yourself out there. There's no dramas about that. And So the 500 mark are going to be allowed to sit on the hill Yep, around the uh, around from Dandenong Road, the Dandenong Road Hill, basically to Pitt Strait. So what's that's that handy. turn? What's that turn six or something through yeah. to turn eleven? And, and that's a that's a great area. You go and sit yourself over near the big bad sand out S's, and uh, you'll have a whale of a day. You Spend have the, the barbecue day, out. Yeah, watching yeah. Armco be repaired. Lovely. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Because that's that's sand down. You get small snippets of motor racing in between lengthy barrier repairs. Yeah, you Tremendous. Do. Hey, uh, you spoke about silly season, Mark. Uh, kick it off. Well, it, it seems to be uh, coming to a bit of a head now. Uh, last week, uh, we had Todd Hazelwood on the show. He pretty much confirmed that they were going to have a, the same driving combination at Brad Jones Racing, which you didn't tell us about. We no, went, and I was going to say, we went sacked. Fabian Coulthard and David Reynolds to that seat in the space of 20 minutes, <laughs> only to find out that earlier in the show, in an interview that had been pre-recorded before we knew about it, 
Todd Hazelwood and locked in Macca Jones. Yeah, and Todd, apologies. It's not we that I wasn't better, to you. I might have just... need to have better board meetings, seriously. <laughs> but uh, that's good for Macca. I mean, he has mm. been coming on strong and and they'll figure out the financials of making that seat work with uh, with how they do things up there at uh, Brad Jones Racing. So good for Macca and hopefully he puts on a good show next year. So what does that mean? It seems to mean that, that David Reynolds is going to wind up with the Kellys. Which I, I guess that my one tip for that is don't bother signing a contract. I mean, what yeah. what use is a contract? Yeah, Just uh, give them a brown paper bag with some coins in it at the end of the weekend. Yeah. Nice handshake deal, and especially on your a ten way. year one. If you put the the politics of that move aside, and and certainly the the Erebus dust up, that it's actually a good combo on paper, isn't it? Because we saw, especially in the second half of the season that we've had, how well Andre Heimgartner went mm. in the Ned Racing cars. So they're fast race cars. Still some teething problems, as we saw at Bathurst, but um, with perhaps a remotivated David Reynolds to be a dad by the start of the new season as well, um, maybe that will that will really help them push forward. I, I still can't get around, get my head around these stories linking Rick and some of them linking the Castro money to another team though, that in my head, that doesn't make sense. Like I don't understand why you wouldn't, after all that effort you've sunk into the family enterprise, why you'd go and drive somewhere else in the Enduros when you've got two pretty good Mustangs. Like but, Rick Kelly and Andre Heimgartner in the Enduro race next year will be a bloody nice. good combo. Yeah, Surely that's a Castro prerogative where they spend their money. I mean, they've been at, Mm. at Tickford before and Tickford need a sponsor. So I don't know. I'm just making, I'm absolutely pulling that one out of my bum, but that would make sense to me. Tickford need a sponsor, but they also need a wreck. And Mm. at the moment, Lee Holdsworth doesn't have a seat and may not find himself driving in 2021 for the reason being that if you look at Tickford, of course, they've got waters, they've got, uh, James Courtney's going to be there in the boost car. Uh, Jack LeBrock will be there in the Yeah, exactly. Which means that Lee Holdsworth, they haven't got a fourth license, even though the cool drive car is going over there. No, they're, they're talking about Coulthard and possibly Slade being the drivers for that. So the, the only savior could be from what I see is that Lee Holdsworth is on a contract with Tickford. And if they pay his wage to drive that cool drive car, that could save Tim Blanchard uh, a bit of money. But the, the cool drive thing's going to be, according to the, the rumour mill, it's going to be run out of Box Hill out of cool drive. It's not going to be a, a satellite. Okay, well, there you go. Car at all. The only way that there would be a link is if they end up sharing a boom with Tickford car. Yeah, yeah. Tickford yeah, end okay. up with three cars. Yeah. They'll have to split one of the cars and share a boom with somebody else, which would be a pain in the ass. So you look at those two Erebus cars from 2020, De Pasquale and Reynolds, De Pasquale winds up at DJR, Reynolds winds up at Callies. Who got mm. the better uh, draw there? Oh, well, Anton has, hasn't he? <laughs> but, but, it goes to show, but, but it goes to show, like, Reynolds has been pretty scathing in his assessment of DJR Team Penske over the last few years. And mm. it's obviously something that uh, that hasn't played into his hands at this stage. Yeah. You yeah, make your bed, though, don't you? And And... And Dave is the kind of character that just calls it like it is. And we love that about him and we need those drivers in the sport. But at the same time, you do that, you're always going to risk burning bridges and not getting an ace drive if you've just spent the last two seasons ragging on the team that all of a sudden you want to drive with. <laughs> now, in, in the chat we had with Ryan Story just before with, uh, with Dale, and I'll let you in on this. Finally, I'll give you some information. Thank, from thank the, you. The previous ah. interview. Uh, I asked the question of Ryan about the legacy and what, Penske leaves having gone from supercars. And he said, the, the one thing that really sticks in my mind is the fact that Roger first said when he came here, get the presentation right and everything else falls into line with it. Mm. With all honesty, and I love Dave Reynolds dearly, is Dave Reynolds the presentation of Shell V Power and that sort of setup that they've, that, that persona that they've set up over the last four or five years? Pay him half a million bucks, he probably would be. <laughs> But yeah, yeah, yeah you know, probably. Look, if Penske was still involved, it, he doesn't strike me as being a Penske driver. But then Will Power doesn't strike you on the surface of being a real <laughs> Penske driver either, does he? And he's now been with Roger Penske since the mid-2000s. 
So he's been there for 15 years and won the Indy 500 and championships and it seems to work just fine. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. You look at Ryan Blaney, same same boat. Like he's yeah. a, he's just a Star Wars nerd. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's a different game entirely. So. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, it's a, it's a strange one, Shebex. I agree with you. But um, no, Mark's bang on though that, that Anton out of all these shuffles has landed right. But it, it is an odd off-season, isn't it? And yeah, Tickford in the game of musical chairs could be the ones left standing at the moment with without it. And, and it brings us back to what we talked about last week, is do, do supercars find themselves under enough pressure with the fact that they could, for the first time in a long time, actually have more deals done to put cars on a grid than they actually have cars on a grid? So do they release those extra two wrecks and put them back on the market and go back to 26 cars? And I just keep coming back to what I said last week, which was if I'm one of the other 18 or so cars from teams that don't want to expand, I'm saying no, because it cuts my share of the revenue back. So I I, would take a pretty good deal. If if I'm a team owner, if I'm WAU or Erebus Kelly's, and I'm looking at my slice being my two slices out of 24 being sliced down to less than that. Um, yeah, I'd be, I'd be saying no. But you know, the, the remedy to that is to pay massively overs for the wreck. Well, that, yeah, well, absolutely. Yeah. Go, okay. Well, you can get the wreck, but it's going to cost you a million bucks like they did 10 years ago. And then that will determine if the market's strong enough, I suppose, for them to actually go to market. The, the other thing I should have mentioned too, that Ryan said, and oh, here we go. I just came, I just came to, Dale put to him about the combination of always having a young driver with an experienced driver at that DJR Team Penske seat, or in, especially in the last 10 years. Mm. And Ryan said that was definitely a factor in the decision that they made with Will and Anton to have that experienced driver and Will be there. Mm. And this, you know, very uh, cool and exciting driver in Anton B- Di Pasquale being the understudy. Yeah. Well, makes sense. I thought for a moment there you were about to say that Ryan had just unequivocally ruled out any more wrecks being put on the market after I just spent five minutes hypothesizing that they might come back on the market. So I'm very pleased that he didn't say that. That is a question I wanted Thanks to ask that. him, but I didn't get around to it. Okay, uh, right. Good, yeah. good. Uh, so that's the silly season. Silly season happening off the field as well, isn't there? Yeah. So news, as we record this on a Tuesday evening, um, our mates over at the V8 Sleuth have got a bit of a scoop in that the ownership at the top level of the Australian racing group has changed hands recently. And ARG, for those that don't know, is the company behind now TCR Australia, S5000, Touring Car Masters, Trans Am Australia, the Bathurst Six Hour, the Bathurst International, and the list goes on and on and on. And now uh, are in a JV with SRO to run Australian GT. And you can read my thoughts on that on the racetalk.com now. I think that's a, a decent move to get SRO involved. Um, but they've had a, a change of hands, I suppose, in their ownership makeup. And now Barry Rogers, son of Gary at Gary Rogers Motorsport, is the majority shareholder there. He's got 47.5% of that organization. Brian Boyd, who was, for all intents and purposes, the money behind ARG when they first popped onto the scene, when this Formula 5000 revival was first mooted a long way back. He's the pace in Australian motorsport sponsorship, pace logo that everyone knows very, very well. Um, So his nephew retains a a reasonable stake in that. James Warburton's got a a small share and John McMillan, formerly Wilson Security and now of pace as well, has um, 19%. So um, interesting there. So um, Barry Rogers putting his money where his mouth is. He's got seven TCR cars and three S5000 cars lined up for next year. So he's got 10 cars locked in. Wouldn't shock me if they end up running some TCM stuff or Trans Ams as well. Um, certainly investing in the categories in which you're racing. So, um, yeah, interesting turn of events and a good scoop from Noons there on the V8 Sleuth. I remember years ago when I was working for Rich Italians going broke, they were making luxury boats, and we lobbed up to the – Sanctuary Cove boat show on the Gold Coast and Gary Rogers walked past and Gary, do you want to come and check out my 64 foot, two and a half million dollar boat? And he's gone, mate, that's too small for me. <laughs> so oh, yes. the, the fact that they're spending their money on motor racing, I think that's a great thing. And obviously it's been a lot of expense to get TCR set up. I mean, obviously there was a lot of bankrolling there to get uh, that grid built up and, 
now sort of even though this year was a non-event a lot more of the cars are in private hands now they're all uh self-funded sort of thing so they don't need to have all that propping up to to get things rolling it's all there ready to roll they've got the tv product in place they've got the calendar in place uh it's hit go and let's make this happen so uh good on them so gentlemen this year was a year missed for tcr and all those arg categories due to the fact that they didn't really run this year due to covid was it a missed opportunity that they didn't get onto the track yeah look it probably was but at the same time i understand the rationale for why they didn't because whilst i was going to say it's fine for supercars teams to go on the road like they did it's not fine you would never ask anyone to do that in a normal circumstance but they had to do it but they're professional race teams fully professional race teams with a full-time staff that's their job. 90% of the teams that are involved in the categories outside of supercars and, and this references directly the AIG stuff. So if you're TCR Australia, you're wall racing. So Wally, I think has three full-time mechanics, maybe. Um, if you're BRM in S5000, BRM has two full-time staff. Um, their support team is contractors that come in on the weekend. Yeah. McElroy Racing has a handful of full-time staff in Porsches, but a lot of their race weekend staff are contractors. It was impossible to go to a contractor. Either we're going to take you on the road for six months because it would cost an enormous amount of money for a a small team that can't do it. But then it's very difficult to go to them and say, oh, PS, you've got to go on quarantine for two weeks as well. So I understand why they didn't push as hard as maybe they could have to get some running. Um, I, I know, and, and from talking to people inside the organization, and look, I'm, I'm involved with the Bathurst six hour, have been this year, and there was a massive attempt to get that event up and running. It would have been running last weekend at Mount Panorama as part of the Bathurst International. They tried really hard, but ultimately they had to get to a point where it just wasn't viable for these teams. And what they would gain in running the event they would lose in not having enough cars to make it financially viable because people from Queensland, South Australia or Victoria, wherever it might've been, couldn't have got there. So at the same time as yes, opportunity lost and a year wasted is not the right word. I don't know what is the right word, but a year missed. It was 2020. Um, It was just absolute stock standard 2020, wasn't it? Everyone's pissed off most of this year, haven't they? Let's be frank. So (laughs) You know, the, the yeah. lucky massive businesses like ARG, like supercars, AFL, NRL that have been able to get it done have done so because they've got massive resources and they've been able to carry the massive debt that they've accrued doing it, um, whereas others don't have that opportunity. Yeah, no, that's very true. Uh, we also speak of uh, change of engineers as well and reports in auto action this week that uh, Bathurst winner Shane Van Gisbergen's engineer, Grant McPherson, is set to leave Triple Eight and make his way to Wilkinshaw, uh, oh, God. United. Thank you. Thank you. It is a very long team name. It is. <laughs> and it doesn't have uh, motorsport or racing in it. No. We could probably jam a few more initials in there. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, we tried. <laughs> probably good. Uh, that's a surprise? Uh, maybe. I guess, um, yeah, people change jobs for all sorts of reasons, don't they? I mean, uh, he's a new dad too, so there's probably some reasons behind that as well. Uh, whatever package, whatever deal it is that he's he's going from. I mean, he's obviously lived in Melbourne before. He studied in Melbourne before he uh, started working down there with FPR back in the day. Uh, interesting. I mean, obviously, Triple Eight is still the homologation team for the Camaro coming up for Gen 3. And they were the homologation team for the ZB too. And I mean, the ZB came out pretty well. And that was their first attempt at a car, I guess, after Ludo, wasn't it? Mm. And it, it came out of the box all right. But uh, that second year when they banned the multi springs in that car and it threw the whole whack of the ZB out and they struggled to find an aerodynamic sort of setup window for the car. So that was a, an interesting one with that. Whereas when the Mustang came in, it was uh, a Ludo creation from scratch and it was hot to trot. So triple eight, they've still got a lot of uh, brain power there. Obviously Jeremy Moore's back on deck and uh, Rich, you've talked to Jeremy this year yeah. about his involvement over with the Porsche program and, 
you know, they've put together some pretty uh, good hot rods over there and that, and he would have yeah. a lot of learnings from that that he's able to bring to the party at Triple Eight that he can apply to the Gen 3 side of things. So it'll be interesting to see how that pans out. I mean, obviously, two cars starting from scratch, though, it'll be an interesting marriage of bringing those cars together. Um, the other thing, too, to keep in mind with the ZB is that when they were bringing that in, they were also developing the turbocharged V6 at the same time. And I know that Grant was doing a fair bit with that new power plant, which ultimately never happened. So um, interesting. Uh, he's been a part of the furniture up there for a little while now, had a fair bit of success. But by the same token, that's a, a good prospect to have at Walkinshaw and Trinity United. They're building quite a little talent base in their engineering staff there. Yeah, especially after grabbing Adam DeBore. Uh, it's interesting. Uh, Triple Eight's always it's Triple Eight Race Engineering, so they've always been top yes. heavy in that. So, when you look at the people they've got in senior roles, Mark mentioned Jeremy Moore, who's just genius level intellect when it comes to that stuff, and he designed from scratch, led the team that built the 911 RSR GTE car and World Endurance Championship, which won on its debut, finished one two on debut, remarkable thing, um, and was involved in the 918 uh, 919 Le Mans winning car as well. But you've got David Couchy up there. You've got Mark Dutton still there. We've been on the tool. So very engineering top heavy at T8. So and, and there's people in the background behind that that don't have that publicity that can step up to the plate. So I think Triple Eight's pretty safe if um, Shippy, as he's known, does depart. From a, you know, the theory I did have when I read this story on AA, and congrats to AA if they have broken something here, because it's a good, a good story to break. The thought I have was if there's another team in the paddock that's going to bring a third brand into the sport, it's WAU. Yeah. If, if anyone's going to do it, it's them. Not only do they have links to manufacturers left, right, and center through the Walkinshaw group of companies, through Michael Andretti's businesses in the States and his race teams, but Zach Brown, the United component, massively connected people. So Ryan has been very upfront in the media, which I really like about the fact that they're working hard on a third brand and they think they can get one. Um, so they need to shore up their engineering department even further if they are going to bring another brand in. And they've already got Adam DeBore who came across with Chaz Mostert and clearly made an impact on that squad. Um, you've got Carl Foe, who's a championship winning guy in British touring cars, designed the Subaru that Jason Plato won in really well and great cars behind that. So he's clearly had an influence as well. If you add Grant McPherson to that mix, you look at that engineering staff to bring a potential third manufacturer into the sport. And you do that with a lot of confidence because there's a heap of brain power there to do that. So that's just in my thinking is maybe that's why they've tried to grab him. Um, but who knows? And, and until it's confirmed by T8 that he's actually departing, then um, it's all a, a pretty good news story and nothing more than that at the moment. Yeah, very much so. And uh, who would have thought that we would be talking supercars, gentlemen, so deep into the year, which is normally speedway season. Is I mean, we've just run a story on the racetalk.com sort of outlining where things are with Speedway. I mean, we love the Speedway. We love uh, getting down and dirty. We, we don't we don't get out of the skids as much as we should. And it, it's something that's uh, sort of piqued my interest a bit lately because obviously the COVID side of things has really impacted. We've just been talking about it. It's knocked out everything bar supercars. And with sprint cars too, it knocked out World Series sprint cars. That was the first domino to fall. Yep. They canned that back mid-September. Then the uh, Grand Annual down at Warrnambool got canned. The Australian Sprint Car Championship got canned. Uh, it was supposed to be over in Perth this year, so they've been pushed back to 2022. But the interesting thing is that it, it's a lot like the ARG-style things, where it's more of a hobby-style, you know, sure, there's professional teams, but sprint cars as a whole, it's more of a hobby sport here in Australia. And locally, it's been going through the roof. There've been mm. really big entries uh, at Archerfield, at Murray Bridge, at the Perth Motorplex uh, for the local track series. I mean, this weekend at Archerfield, there's 38 nominations. Um, they've got a bit of a development series running in that as well, but uh, that's still a decent turnout for a just a, a track night and something that they are going to bring in Speedway Australia this year. They've announced today, uh, a bit of a mini series for four of the local southeast Queensland tracks, and if you include Lismore, Northern New South Wales, and that with Toowoomba, Archerfield, and Maribyrnong. So they're going to have uh, seven races in fourteen days, which will be a good little oh. series there to uh, 
to get through that sort of replaces a few of the other things that uh, would normally be going on around Australia and they'll try and replicate those mini series in the various places. The other thing to, to, to keep in mind, Valvoline Raceway out there at Parramatta, it's their final season before they bulldoze that and turn yeah. it into a tram terminus. Uh, it'll be replicated out uh, alongside the drag strip uh, behind Sydney Motorsport Park. It'll be the same track layout exactly, but it'll be a brand new facility. So, yep. they're, but they're still trying to get a few races in there. Obviously at the moment, New South Wales have a cap of 500 punters uh, allowed through the gate, which just doesn't allow for uh, viable race meeting at Parramatta there. So <laughs> as soon as they rectify that, they'll be back there and they'll, end the season massively because everyone yeah. and their dog will want to have a, a trot there before they close it. Yeah. that I, I've spoken to some Speedway people about Parramatta Valvoline Raceway and there's frustration about that because the place has got three or 4,000 seats yep. in a permanent grandstand and, and the Vic, um, the New South Wales government rules are 50% capacity as they are here in SA at the moment. I know Queensland's just gone back to 100%, 100%. conveniently timed for that final game of origin Interestingly, it was announced two days before or something. Did, did you notice we had the oh, AFL yes. grand final here too? Yeah. Yep. Interesting, isn't it? Um, but yeah, so the, the rules, again, it, it feels a little bit like motorsports being dudded because they're only allowed 500 at Valvoline, despite the fact that their half capacity should, in theory, be 1,500 or whatever their half their grandstand seating is. So it's just a quirk in the regulations and you deal with that. And hopefully by January... New South Wales follows what Queensland is doing and um, and goes to 100%. It's interesting, though, that I, I'm really looking forward to that track moving out to Eastern Creek, to that region, because one of the better nights... Shebex, I don't think you were there. I think you might have missed that round, perhaps. Or, or did you come to Valvoline to Parramatta yeah, I did, with us? Yeah, and we speedway. went down the middle with uh, Matt Nolte was in there and all that sort Wade, of... Wade, yeah. And that yeah, was a terrific night. It was the, yeah. the Saturday night of the Homebush. Uh, might have been the final round at Homebush, actually, before they moved to Newy. Could have been, yes, could have been. Yeah, you're Either right. Way, we, we popped in a cab. We went down to Sydney Speedway and had a night at the Skids after spending a day at Supercars. The The potential for a smart promoter to do a crossover event out there at the West when that track up is is up and running is high. Yeah, um, but, but even, even, back the do, triple challenge. even do it further than that, and maybe if you were to do on the Friday night drags and yep. speedway on the Saturday night or something after the supercar round, it would be fantastic. Good luck getting in and out of the joint because traffic's mm. a bun fight. Well, well, actually, but, but you know, what your biggest issue is now is that one of those nights is going to be a night race. So that's going to take that night away from doing. Well, and being Sydney, it'll probably either rain or some other <laughs> rubbish but, thing will happen. And here's the serendipitous part about the half grandstand capacity. The new track's getting a 7,000 seat yes, grandstand. Correct. Yeah. So if it was half grandstand capacity, yeah. they could have fit everyone in there. Yeah, correct. Yeah. Yeah. Very true. Irony. But yeah, um, the Speedway thing's interesting. And I know there's there's efforts over here. Part One of the big Speedway trials in South Australia is the World Series Sprint Cars Speed Week. And mm. from Boxing Day through to New Year's yep. Eve and then New Year's Day at the, the Classic down at Warrnambool. So, um, yeah, they're, they're looking at ways to do that from a state basis rather than just a um, – rather than the World Series Sprint Cars, which is terrific. And what it might do as well is you'll see some of the bigger names from New South Wales and Victoria especially head up to Queensland yep. when they may not have and run at these local events, which will bring bigger gate, which will make more money for them. And there's, there's plenty to be gained out of this scenario. And that was the problem with World Series is that you had all the, the big names, McFadden's, Tattnall's, whatnot, that are based in America that would have had dramas getting back here uh, into the quota that we allow into the country. But then they also had that drama with all the state borders because yeah. World Series crosses all of them. Yeah. So uh, they, they pulled the pin earlier and, yeah. and just uh, just bit the bullet and, right, we'll focus again on uh, later on down the track, 21, 22. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Anything else, Rad boys, before I wrap it up? No, Look, I'm, I'm just waiting for this uh, calendar to come out. I really don't care. I mean, it's going to come out when it comes out. Or we could just fire up and just go <laughs> completely mental about yeah, it. Yeah, unnecessarily. The um, As you said on – did you say it on social media, Mark? Or it might have been a private group chat. Um, in that <laughs> private, case – Just a group chat, private now. group yeah. chat. Um, <laughs> The Big Bash League only just released their schedule and that starts as we speak to you now in 16 days. I, and they've I, only just locked in their full so, schedule. 
that match had already been scheduled eight weeks ago. It was the second half of the schedule. Yeah, but no one knew where it was all going to be played. No. Yeah. So give Supercars a break. No, they did up until the 31st of December, they did. Yeah. I I, I don't think anyone's stressed. Like, no no one's stressed. I mean, uh, there's pointless endeavour trying to book your holidays around motor racing events next year anyway. I think you're a damn fool if you go booking international holidays. Hey, Shebex. Uh, yes, exactly, and I haven't, apart from haven't? Singapore, <laughs> <laughs> which, right, eh? which I have a full one hundred percent refund up until a week before the event. So, okay. come on, vaccine! <laughs> <laughs> Fingers crossed. Mm. Uh, okay, guys, catch you next week. Thanks, boys. Look Good forward chat. to it. Uh, thank you for joining us again on The Grid. We'll catch you again next week right here on mypodcasthouse.com or on the Radio Show Limited's RS1.